All right, good morning again. <clears throat> Oftentimes in this uh, scenario, I'm introducing a guest speaker, and uh, this morning, uh, we don't merely have a guest speaker. Um, we are so blessed to be able to welcome back uh, one of our elders, Joe George, who has uh, been away from us since August, and uh, he's with us here for a couple of weeks, and so, brother, it is a pleasure to have you back. It is so wonderful to have Joe in here, here in person, and uh, we're ready to receive the word from the Lord from you this morning. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be back. I've missed you guys. I've been, uh, uh, as, as many of you know, I'm uh, currently deployed with the United States Army in support of a peacekeeping operation in uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And uh, it's, it's been a very, very interesting experience. I, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to be back with you guys and uh, share, some of the things that, uh, share some of the things I've been working on. Um, just so you know, uh, today you're going, to be, uh, you're going to be guinea pigs, right? And I, I, I know that we're in a synagogue and you'd probably like to be a kosher animal, but... Uh, be patient with me because um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying out something a little bit new. I've been, uh, as, as many of you know, I'm trying to push this synagogue in the direction of uh, being more, having more of an apologetic mindset, right? Apologetics doesn't mean that, oh, I'm sorry that we're, you know, doing whatever it is we're doing, right? The, uh, the, the word um, apologeia, is a Greek word that shows up in the scriptures when uh, Peter writes to the church and tells us to always be ready to give a defense for the things that you believe, right? And that word defense is an apologia, right? It's a reasoned defense. It's a reasoned explanation for the things that we believe. So uh, I'm, I'm working in that, and uh, I'm currently taking an online class where I... Uh, um, you know, I'm engaged in apologetics, learning how to do it better. And hopefully some of the things that I learn how to do better, I can bring back and share with you guys, if God wills it. And so, uh, so you guys are the, the test subjects for uh, something I'm going to be uh, presenting soon to uh, some, other, some other people. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I've been working also to uh, wean myself off of caffeine, right? But... Uh, I'll, I'll let you know if it works. <sighs> so, uh, I've, um, I've been, uh, while I've been in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, right, it's, uh, it was originally, it was originally settled by, colonized by the, 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 the Belgians, and uh, so they speak French. So I have been my, uh, my, pretty much my only opportunity, because of the security situation, I can't really go very far from, from where we live, and my, my opportunities to, uh, to go to church on Sunday have been with the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church down the street. So it's been, uh, you know, when in Rome, do as the Roman Catholics. So I've had, uh, but um, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that um, I'm learning a little bit of French, 
and uh, I can, I can uh, join with our, uh, our brothers and sisters in uh, reciting the Apostles' Creed in French, so that's kind of cool. Besides that, I don't understand most of what they're saying because they speak a little bit more quickly than I can keep up with them. Uh, it's also interesting that uh, I'm one of the only white people there, right? So this church I attend is, uh, is a huge church, probably three or four times the size of this, and, and boy, they pack them in, right? I mean, we're, there's, there's literally standing room only, and uh, so I'm the only white guy there. So kind of a, a different experience, but it's been a very good experience, right? Because uh, the, I mean, the, as far as I can understand, the body is the body, right? And when we are, when we are communing with our brothers and sisters, right, even if, even if we think that doctrinally they get a few things wrong here and there, it's, uh, it's been a very uh, beautiful experience. Uh, that being said, I'm, I'm glad to be back here with you guys, right? I also, uh, did you guys enjoy uh, uh, Ben Juster when he was here? You did? Okay, I, I saw his, uh, I uh, saw on, on YouTube, and uh, I enjoyed it, and he knows that I was teasing him about this already, right? But I, I like the fact that he, he talked and talked and talked and talked and talked for about 20 minutes, and then he says, which leads me to the sermon, <laughs> right? So uh, Ben Juster's a man after my own heart that way. <laughs> I appreciated that. And I'm glad to know that, uh, that I have not, not left you as orphans, right? But I've, of course, uh, left you in very good hands. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to tell you a story. And this is why, let me, let me explain why I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story because I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that a lot of people decide what they want to believe is true, and then they go out looking for evidence, right? My, my apologetic studies have, have you know, we've, we've got a lot of facts, right? And, and I think we in this synagogue have done a good job teaching facts. That's important, right? Our, the, the, the faith, the, the trust that we have in the God of Israel is based on fact, right? These are, these are not happy little fairy tales that we tell ourselves, right? Some people think that they are. That's, that's not our understanding of the faith. That's not our understanding of the things that we believe to be true, right? We accept these things as true because we have evidence, right? And... You know, a lot of our, you know, our students in the bar and bar mitzvah class, they can, they can go through these same arguments. They can show this evidence, right? This is part of our, uh, this is part of our uh, new members course that we, that we uh, undertake from time to time. And I think the evidence is important. However, I think that all the evidence in the world is not valuable, not useful, until someone makes a decision that he wants it to be true. Right? Now, I'm, I'm not saying that we as human beings build our own reality. I'm not saying that, you know, you can just, you know, we're not in the matrix, right? And, and there, there actually is a spoon, and if you want to bend it, you have to use your own hands, right? And some of you guys that have never seen the movie are looking at me like I'm a weirdo, 
all right? But we, we don't get to create our own reality. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that if we want to, if we want to reach people, and ultimately, I think, if we want to accept these things as true for ourselves, we have to convince ourselves that it's a good thing, that it's, that it's true. Excuse me, not so much that it's true, that's not necessarily my argument, but that we want it to be true. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm going to stand up here and tell you very honestly and very forthrightly that I want the gospel to be true. I want it to be true with everything that's in me. All right? In Judaism, we have, we have the, uh, the 13 attributes of faith, right? And they start with, let's see if I can get this phrase right, they start with the phrase, Ani mamim be'emunah shalomah. I believe with a perfect faith. Right? Now, there's nothing perfect about Joe George. Right? Uh, I'm, I'm glad that Philip introduced this new person into the synagogue. Right? So for those of you that don't know Joe George, there's nothing perfect about Joe George. I promise you. Right? And my wife is here. She can probably attest to that. Right? There's nothing perfect about me, and there's nothing perfect about my faith. All right? But what, what I think that this means, right? I believe with a perfect faith. What does that mean? I think that it means that everything in me that doesn't believe, every weakness in my psychology, that's me. And I want to seek out truth. I want to seek out facts that show me that this is true. And we have those facts. Right? Those facts, right? the, the, the scriptures tell us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right? So all the facts, we should never be afraid of facts. We should never be afraid of discussing the, the history of our faith. You know, is, is the, are the things in the Bible actually true? Did they happen historically? Well, yes, they did. We have markedly good evidence. That's true. Right? We, we, should, we should never be afraid to talk about the facts of, you know, does morality actually exist? Yes, it does. It's a self-evident truth. Right? We can see that there, is, there are things that are morally right and morally wrong. We should never be afraid to discuss the facts surrounding the resurrection of Yeshua ben Yosef Minatzeret. Right? It is, it is a historical, there are historical facts that show that the most reasonable thing, even if you don't want to accept the historical documents that we have, the most reasonable thing is that this man did indeed get up and walk out of that tomb. Right? We should not be afraid of facts. I think that before we talk about facts, we want to convince ourselves that, that these facts would actually be true and actually be correct. So today, I want to uh, I want to tell you a story. I'm not going to make a lot of arguments as part of this story. I just want you to listen to the story, and I want you to decide: hey, do, do I, Is this a nice story? Do I want this story to be true? Because there, there are other stories, stories that compete with our story. You know, you, you, you're free to go choose one of them. All right, you're free to go make up your own story. I think that this story is a good story. I don't think that other people, if they, if they accept the story of uh, uh, a man named uh, Muhammad who lived uh, late 6th, early 7th century, Right? Maybe, maybe they like that story better. That's another story. 
right? I don't think the people that accept uh, a, a much more modern story, it's been around in various different forms, but a uh, story, I think you could say the high priest of this story is a gentleman named uh, Richard Dawkins, Professor Dawkins from uh, Oxford University, right? The, the atheist story, that's a story too. I don't think the people that accept those stories lack any of the facts. Right? I, I don't think you're going to walk up to that person and say, well, you know, uh, you know the, the second law of thermodynamics tells us that you know, entropy in a closed system is always increasing. We can look around and see that the entropy in the u- universe has not increased to a maximum yet, therefore the universe had a beginning. And that person's going to fall on his face and worship the risen Christ. I don't think that's true. He already knows that. He doesn't want it to be true. He doesn't want our story to be true. So, I'm going to tell you a story. <clears throat> uh, it would be immoral of me to tell this story without giving credit to uh, people who have influenced my studies. Uh, I, would, I would strongly encourage you to read the book The Story of Reality by Greg Kokel. Okay. Don't listen to the audio book in the car as you're driving along because you're going to be driving along and there are going to be tears streaming down your face and you're going to be worshiping the risen Messiah and you're not going to be driving. Okay. So that's a bad thing. Don't do that. Um, the audiobook version has uh, the audiobook version is recorded by the author. If if you've never listened to Greg Kokel speak, uh, his voice is very somnolent and I don't say that in a bad way. It's, it's very pleasant to listen to, but uh, you might fall asleep, right? So again, don't do it and don't listen to that audiobook and operate heavy machinery. Um, I also want to talk about uh, the book Our Deepest Desires by uh, Professor Greg Gansel from, uh, I believe he's from uh, Biola, the, the school of apologetics they have there. Um, great book. I also want to talk about um, Hollywood Heroes. It sounds weird, but it's a, a great book by uh, Zach and Dr. Frank Turek. And um, finally, you know, as always, I have to throw a Calvinist into the mix, right? Um, the book, uh, If God Exists, Then Why Are There Atheists? by uh, R.C. Sproul is, um, it was, uh, was very important in my, in my work here. Right, and I'd like to uh, uh, one of one of R.C. Sproul's quotes. It was just it was it was perfect, and it was exactly according to my thesis. Right, so apparently, apparently, uh, you know, God decreed from in His sovereignty from before the foundation of the universe that R.C. Sproul would agree with me. So uh, that's why it's good to have Calvinists around. And he says uh, he says the New Testament maintains that unbelief is generated not so much by intellectual causes as by moral and psychological ones. The problem is not that there is insufficient evidence to convince rational beings that there is a God, but that rational beings have a natural hostility to the being of God. That's R.C. Sproul from, that, uh, from the book that I just mentioned. Uh, if there is a God, then why are there atheists? Uh, good book. So... Uh, also, when I, when I talk about Greg Kokel's work, right, I've, I've met Mr. Kokel. He's a genuinely nice guy, right? So people like me, who are not genuinely nice and who are misanthropic, we always have our radar going off when we're around genuinely nice guys, right? We're, 
and, and the funny thing about Greg Kokel is that Greg Kokel is just as deaf as a post. And so I've spent some time in Iraq and I had bombs blowing up next to my ears and my wife says that I'm deaf as a post. That's not true. But Greg Kokel is just as deaf as a post if you're not standing right in front of him and communicating with him and projecting loudly, you're not going to have a conversation with the man. But his book is really good. Also, uh, I will be referencing the works of uh, William Shakespeare, C.S. Lewis, and uh, David Pawson. And uh, so, the more things go without saying, the more they need to be said, just because I reference literary works and talk about scripture does not mean I'm putting literary works on the same level as scripture, right? You know, holy men of old spoke as they were moved by the Spirit, right? And then there's other good authors. But uh, there you go. I've, I've now given credit to all the people who influenced this, uh, this story I'm about to tell you. Since I used to be a calculus teacher, I will honor the men who wrote these references by saying that if I've seen further, it is because I've stood on the shoulders of giants. So now, right, again, talk for 20 minutes and then say, now, here comes the sermon, right? Good old Ben Juster. He and I are peas in a pod. I'm going to tell you a story. But what makes a story good? Help me out. What do we like in a good story? What? Climax? Okay, right? The story, we, we set the stage, we... Uh, we we introduce some, uh, uh, we introduce conflict, right? The story climaxes, we resolve the conflict, and the story finishes in a, uh, a, a denouement, if you will, right? The story finishes in, a, in an enjoyable conclusion. All right, good. What else? What else do we like in a story? What's that? Okay, believable characters. Excellent, yes. Right? We, uh, we, want, we want characters that are, that are real, believable. That's a great word, right? Something that, uh, something that seems to comport with reality, right? Okay, good. What else? Delivery. Okay, a good story is, is delivered in, in a proper way. Okay, good, excellent. Anything else? Truth. Ah, oh, music to my ears. Yes, truth. It's good to have a true story, right? We want the story to be true. So truth, we've talked about this before, but what, it, what is truth? How, how do we, I want you to define the word without using the word in the definition, right? Um, my friend David, who's not here, he had uh, another uh, engagement this morning, but uh, he, he likes our, we had a previous definition of truth is that which is filled with truthy goodness, right? That's not a good definition. Give me a definition of true that doesn't use the word in the definition. Okay, good. Truth comports with reality. Good, all right. Well, it just so happens that I want to tell you a story today. It is not just a story, but it is a true story. It is true, right? It literally happened. The events I'm going to talk about literally happened. Some of them will happen in the future. Right, but this is a true story. 
the, thing, the things in this story that I'm going to tell you comport with reality. They are, they are true. You can look at the real world around you, and you can, you can know that these things comport with reality. I'm not, a, I'm not asking you to believe something that, for, for which there is no evidence. I'm not asking you to believe something that is contradictory to the evidence of the real world. No, indeed. I'm asking you to believe something that comports with reality, right? Something that is true. Okay? The story does not start with once upon a time. Right? Again, I'm the, you know, this story could start, if I, if I was trying to be more, more uh, historical, I could give you dates for the time that this story started. Right? Or at least very approximate dates. Um, but I'm, I'm not trying to tell you a story. When I, when I start a story with Once Upon a Time, there's probably something in your brain that says, oh, okay, this didn't really happen. Okay, no, this, this story actually happened. So it is a true story. All right? And characters, we mentioned characters. Uh, whom should we have as the lead character in the story? About whom do you want to hear a story? You want to, oh, you want to hear a story about me? Okay, well, my, my personal story is pretty boring. Sorry to disappoint. Um, I've had a few exciting firefights in Iraq. Uh, that was a while ago. Um, I have a... Uh, my, uh, my master's thesis was about uh, military reenlistment rates and the economic impacts of those. Does that sound really interesting? No? No? Not buying it? Yeah. I have, a, uh, I have a definitive opinion on the Oxford comma, if you'd like to clear your schedule and talk about that. <laughs> so, uh, so if you don't want to hear a story about me, right, I would hazard a guess that you don't want to hear a story about you either, right? You're, you're probably just as boring as I am, unless you disagree with me regarding the Oxford comma, in which case you're not just boring, but you're wrong. Okay? So, I, uh, I want to tell you a story about a king. I want to tell you a story about a king. And this king, he created, he created a perfect kingdom. Perfect. And he enjoyed creating this kingdom. Right? He, he, in and of himself, he's very creative. And uh, the, the things he makes, they are in some ways like him. And so this king made a, uh, a perfect kingdom. And, and the, this kingdom right, is something, parts of it that, that have not been damaged, we can still see these parts today, and we can see these parts working perfectly with each other. And we can see the intricacy of this kingdom, right? This kingdom, this kingdom defies explanation. It defies explanation without a designer. It is beautiful, and at one point in time, it was perfect. And it was perfect because it was exactly the way the king wanted it. Now, the king enjoyed making this kingdom. He enjoyed creating it. He enjoyed designing it. Uh, what, you know, there are some things we know about the king. We, we think that the king could have 
snapped his fingers and brought this kingdom into being instantaneously. He chose not to. He chose to do it over a period of time. But uh, he made this kingdom, and he enjoyed making it. The last thing he made was his ambassador, right? If you're a king, you need an ambassador, right? You need someone to, uh, to show, to, to speak on your behalf, to show your image, as it were, to, to various, to, to your subjects, right? So the king made an ambassador. And the ambassador was the thing that the king enjoyed making the, the very most. And the reason the king enjoyed making the ambassador the very most is because the ambassador looked like the king. The ambassador, in, in some way, uh, the story tells us he, bore, he, he was in the image of the king. He bears the image of the king. And that's the ambassador's job. The ambassador's job is to, uh, to bear the image of the king to this world that he creates. And the ambassador, in a sense, is also kind of a viceroy. I'm not going to refer to him as a viceroy, but the ambassador was given dominion over this king's, uh, over the, the, the dom of the king, right? You had a kingdom, this, this king's dominion was given to the ambassador. The ambassador's job is to make decisions on behalf of the king, and that's what the ambassador is supposed to do. The ambassador was uh, made perfectly. The amb- there was no flaw in the ambassador. So the, uh, the ambassador also had, uh, he had real work, right? Now, uh, raise your hand if you've been told that work is part of the curse, right? We only do work because, uh, because of, of bad things that happened. Okay, you've, you've heard that. Some of you have heard that. Okay, that's, that's not necessarily true, right? We need to caveat that, right? Because the ambassador, when the king made him and when everything was perfect, the ambassador had work to do, real work. It was valuable work. It wasn't, it wasn't toil. It wasn't drudgery. Those things came later. All right, but the ambassador had real work to do. The, uh, the ambassador also had, the ambassador had a purpose. You want to hear a story with purpose in it? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay. Not just... You know, not, not just a story that, that uh, doesn't really have a direction, doesn't really have any meaning in it. This ambassador had purpose. Real work, real purpose. Now also, right, in this story, right, it's, it's important to note that this story, whom is this story about? All right, the story is about the king. All right, the story's not about the ambassador, Stories about the king. Okay, the ambassador plays an important role in the story, yes. But, you know, just like we talked about, we didn't want to hear a story about Joe George. We didn't want to hear a story about Naomi. We didn't want to hear a story about any, anyone boring, right? You want an interesting story. All right, well, the king. All right, this, this king is interesting. Okay, so also in the story, the king is good. Okay. Do you want to hear a story about a good king? Yes. Right? It's, it's fair to say that you want to hear a story about an evil king. We, we've heard stories like that. Right? But, uh, so this story is about a good king. And before we go on, let's think about that. Because 
if your story doesn't have a king, there's really no such thing as good. Right? Where, where do we get this? We talk about good. Right? Our bar and bat mitzvah students will remember that truth, beauty, and goodness are the three transcendent values, right? We don't really understand these things without an appeal to that which is transcendent. So if there's no king, there's no good. Right? Note that in the story, the king, is not, the king is not responding to a law that is higher than he is. Right? That's a different story. Nor is the king arbitrarily deciding what is good. That doesn't seem to be his nature. His nature defines what is good. Right? Can't have good without a king. If, if your story doesn't have a king, there's, there's, there's nothing good. Right? There's, no one, there's no one to give a law. Kings give laws. Right? And, there, and so there's no one to have a law that says one thing is good, another thing is not. So if you want a truly good story, your story has to have a king. All right? Now, the king is good. One of the ways the king shows his goodness is that he gives the ambassador a co-worker. Right? A co-worker who is like him. He, he, he gave dominion to the ambassador. The ambassador had a job. The ambassador had all this. But the ambassador, there, there was no one found who was like the ambassador, who was a fellow image bearer of the king. So the king gives the ambassador a co-worker. So, just a pause in the story. All right, men, if, if you're not mopping what I'm spilling yet, all right, the woman is the co-worker. Okay? Your wife is literally God's gift to you. Human beings. All right, the woman is literally God's gift to man. The woman is the pinnacle of God's creation. The woman was made after the man. She is the pinnacle. She is the ultimate thing God made. Right? The ultimate thing the king made. So the king makes a co-worker for the ambassador. Right? He doesn't let this co-worker just wander around aimlessly. No, the story says that the king made the co-worker and brought the co-worker to the ambassador. So it was the king's will the ambassador have a co-worker with him. And the ambassador looks at this co-worker and he says, this, this, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Right? He recognizes that this co-worker is uniquely like him, helping him to do his job, bearing the image of the king to the dominion that the king entrusted to the ambassador. Right? So the... Uh, the ambassador and the co-worker, they are free, perfectly free, to enjoy the king, to enjoy his goodness, and they live happily ever after. Right? Let's close in prayer. No? That's not how it happened? No? Okay. That's right. That's not how it happened. All right? Notice that this perfect world that our hearts have always longed for Right? A, a good character, meaningful work, purpose in life, a co-worker that's perfectly fit for us. All of these things, 
The ambassador has those things. But we know that's not the end of the story. That's just kind of the beginning of the story, right? Because into the story comes a villain. A villain. Interestingly enough, if you, uh, if you use your little, uh, if you're working on uh, Google Docs, like I usually do, and you uh, use the synonym function for villain, uh, it'll, the Google Docs will tell you that good synonyms for villain include uh, reprobate, malefactor, those are good ones. Another synonym is snake. It's appropriate, isn't it? Anyways, into the story comes villain. What makes a good villain? Okay, hate. Hate for the protagonist, fair enough. Right? Now, we don't, this villain, we know a few things about this villain. We don't know exactly why he hates the protagonist. Who's the protagonist? The story's about whom? The king. We're not exactly sure why he hates the king, but he certainly does. He also hates the ambassador. He hates the co-worker. What else? I saw a hand over here somewhere. Villain. What makes a good villain? Okay, right? He's evil. Yeah, he's morally wrong. Okay, excellent point. And remember, we can't have a moral wrong without a moral right. Agreed? Can't, can't rebel against the words of the king if there is no king. Very well spoken, right? Villains are evil. What else? Villains. Selfish? Okay, good, yeah. Villains, they're in it for themselves. Right? Again, the story's about the king. The story's not about the villain. The story's not about the ambassador. The ambassador gets to play a part. The co-worker plays a role. But the story's about the king. But yes, villains are selfish. They care about themselves. What else? What's that? Murder? Yeah. Interestingly enough, this villain was a murderer from the beginning, right? Yeah, okay. Jealousy. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that. Isn't that nice? Jealousy. A usurper? Oh, okay. A usurper is one who is jealous of the king's authority, right? Yeah, he is jealous. Now, just another quick break in the story. I think that the villain was jealous that he didn't get to be the image bearer of the king. I don't know. Right? We can't be dogmatic about that, but that's just a thought. Jealousy, I like that. Anything else? Villains. What makes a good villain? Ew, that's a good word. Insidious. Nice. Anything else? What? A rebel. He is a rebel. Yes, you're very right. Villains are usually rebels, right? In, in this villain, right, we've agreed that they're, the villains are jealous. They're jealous of what? Jealous of rightful authority of someone else. We've agreed that villains are evil, Right? They, are, they, are, they are immoral in some way, and yes, they are rebelling. What are these villains rebelling against? They're rebelling against, ultimately, they seem to be rebelling against the moral law. Right, so we've got a, a rebel, a villain, a snake coming into the story. What else? Okay, sure. Villains, villains, have, a, villains have at least enough power to affect the story, right? 
okay, this villain, this villain did it up, did it up good. He has the power to affect the story. Yes, sir. Villains. Oh, you're just scratching that delicious beard of yours. You realize when I'm in uniform, I don't get to have a beard like that. That makes you the villain, right? For having for having a beard that I don't get to have. You're the villain. Okay. The gel. I am jealous. I yeah. I'm I'm the villain. Uh, right, you know, so the United States Army cannot give up its love affair with the pink-faced doughboy of a hundred years ago. And so many of my colleagues in this, right, so I'm in a UN mission, there are officers from everywhere in the world, you know, so many of my colleagues get to have beards, and it just drives me insane. And I'm jealous of them, and maybe that does make me the villain. Right. So yes, villains, right? We understand villains. Villains are part of our experience. My favorite villain is uh, from Shakespeare. You know, someone asks this villain, you know, they've, you know we're, we're almost at the, the, the denouement and we've, we've finally found out that this villain has been just causing all these problems. This is from Titus Andronicus, if you're ever interested in seeing one of Shakespeare's darkest plays. And they ask this guy, you know, are you not sorry for these thy grievous ills? And he says, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I could not have done a thousand more. Even now, even now I curse the day. And yet few, I think, fall within the compass of my curse, wherein I did not some grievous ill as kill a man or devise his death ravish a maid, or plot the way to do it, accuse some innocent, and forswear myself, set deadly enmity between two friends, make poor men's cattle break their necks, set fire to haystacks and barns in the night, bid the owners quench them with their tears. Oft have I digged up dead men, set them upright at their dear friends' doors, even when their sorrows was almost forgot. And on their skins as on the barks of trees, have I, with my knife, carved in Roman letters, let not your sorrows die, comma, <laughs> though I am dead, exclamation point. <sighs> I've done a thousand dreadful things as willing as one would kill a fly, and nothing grieves me heartily but that I cannot do ten thousand more right? that's why he's the bard that's why Shakespeare is the bard of the English language because he tells these stories and because he understands the human condition and part of the human condition is villainy this villain not a human comes into the story right and he tells lies Two lies. Two lies. What are they? What lies does he tell? What's one of them? Surely. Surely the king did not say. And don't call me Shirley. What's the other one? You will be like the king. That's right. Mm. You will not die. You will be like the king. 
right. Ah. Do you like those lies? No. I think there's part of us that likes those lies. If you were a bad guy, oh, if you were a bad guy, you love those lies. The villain likes those lies. I think, and again, I can't be certain, I think that's why the villain told those lies, because he likes to hear them. The villain is angry. The villain is angry that he is bound by the king's word. So what's the, what's the thing that the villain wants to hear? Oh, well, the king didn't say. Surely, surely the king didn't say. Right? And, and one thing we know about the villain is that the villain, the villain would love to sit on the king's throne. The villain would love to receive the salute worthy only of the king. And so when the king says, you, or excuse me, when the villain says, you will be like the king, he loves to hear that. Right, so the villain comes to the co-worker. Right, he deceives the co-worker. Don't blame the co-worker. Right, the co-worker was, was the co-worker. The co-worker was deceived. That's what the story tells us. The ambassador was not deceived. But in a moment of whatever it was, weakness, malice, the ambassador makes a choice to violate the one boundary that the king had given him. There was one, one boundary, one law that, uh, that, that defines the relationship between the king and the ambassador. One thing that the king had told the ambassador he was not to have. Everything else... Everything else in this perfect world the ambassador could have, there's one thing that he was not to have. And in, a, in that moment, the ambassador takes the thing that he was not allowed to have. And in that moment, everything changes. In that moment, the ambassador and the co-worker, again, remember the ambassador was in charge. We don't blame the co-worker for this. The ambassador literally breaks the world. Now, at this point in time, there are, uh, there are some people who, uh, who ask, well, you're, this king, the king you keep talking about, well, he's perfect. Could he have not created a world in which the ambassador could not break the world? He probably could have. Right? If he took the ambassador's freedom. Right? If the ambassador had no freedom, if the ambassador did not have a choice, Absolutely, sure, the king could have made such a world. Your, your, king is, your king is all wise. king knows everything. Yeah, he does. king knows everything. He's all wise. Everything that is knowledge, he knows. So he knew the ambassador was going to do this thing. He knew the ambassador was going to violate this rule. Yeah, he did. He knew that. So why did he make the world? Well, because the ambassador had free choice. And so now the ambassador and the co-worker right, and, and everything that was in the king's dominion. The king gave dominion to the ambassador. The ambassador took this thing and said, I want to break it. 
And he did. He broke it. Everything that is in that dominion is now in rebellion. Because the ambassador, whose job it was to show the image of the king, to be the king's servant and to live perfectly with the king, is now a rebel. He's thrown in his lot with the villain, the rebel. So the king, the king had given the ambassador a warning. The king said, if, if you do this, if you violate this one rule that defines this, this one boundary on our relationship, that, uh, that, and he says, dying, you will die. Now the, now the ambassador does not die immediately. He does not die physically immediately. But certainly he, he begins the process of dying. With this choice, he lets death into the dominion that he was given. Right? That was, it was the king made a free moral choice to give dominion to the ambassador. The ambassador made a free moral choice to rebel against the king. And so... All the effects of rebellion come into the world because of the free moral choice of the ambassador. The ambassador possibly expected maybe more freedom, maybe a, maybe a better relationship with the king. We don't really know what the ambassador was thinking in that moment, but whatever it is, it doesn't seem that he got it. Instead, everything is broken. Right? The ambassador had a perfect relationship with the king. Right? Later, after this event, the ambassador hears the sound of the king walking in the garden in the cool of the day. He knew what that sounded like. It makes sense that they'd done that before, that the king had walked with the ambassador in the cool of the day. Right? This is no, you know, the, the ambassador no longer wants this. He goes and hides when he hears it. Right? The ambassador had a, uh, had a perfect relationship with his co-worker. Right? This co-worker that you know, moments before, we don't know how long before, but not long before he was looking at this co-worker and saying, yes, it's perfect. Right? And now he blames the co-worker. Oh, this co-worker you gave me. Oh, that's her fault. Right? The, the ambassador had a perfect relationship with creation. Right? We, talked about, we talked about the work, the, the valuable, purposeful, meaningful work that the ambassador was given. Right? Now that work is marred. Now that work is going to be hard going to be toil right? and instead of instead of having dominion over the creation eventually this ambassador will die he, as he was taken from that creation he will return to that creation right? in one in one final act of violence that the ambassador chose for himself the ambassador's spirit will be torn from his physical body, and he will die. The king is not willing to let the ambassador remain in, in this, uh, this perfect place that he's made for him, so the king expels the ambassador and the co-worker. And they are sent away from the presence of the king. And I think now we can look at the story and say that the king would be just to leave them there. Right. Uh, the king would be just. The king had told them, dying you will die if you do this. And they made a choice. And the king is just to send the ambassador away from him. 
and to let the ambassador suffer the consequences of his own decisions. But that's not what happens. You see, as the king, or as one of the king's servants, I'm not exactly sure who did this, but as the ambassador and the co-worker are being ushered from this place where they lived, where they lived happily before they'd made this awful decision, the king talks to the co-worker and tells the co-worker that there is a snake crusher on the way. You see, the king has already initiated a rescue plan. The story tells us, actually, that the rescue plan was in place, right? Because, again, we've said the king is all-wise, the king is omniscient, the king is all-powerful, right? The, the, the rescue plan was in place since before the foundation of the kingdom, right? But this is, this is the first time that, uh, really, that any of the, that either the ambassador or the co-worker would be interested in a rescue, Right? But, so the rescue plan is on the way. Do you want to hear a story about a rescue? What, what is a rescue? What am I talking about? What does that word mean? Help me out. Anyone? Okay, right? We're going to save the ambassador. Yes, sir. Deliverance. Okay, deliverance, presumably of the ambassador and the co-worker and their heirs. From what? Okay, so the villain caused a problem. All right, what else? What, what do we need to rescue them from? Death. Okay, death is coming. Sin. All right, so sin is this, this rebellion against the king. All right, what about the king himself? Is the king angry? Okay, the king's angry. Is it right for the king to be angry? Okay, yeah. Again, we've said that the king is good. And we've said that it makes sense, therefore, that because the king is good, he is angry at rebellion against him. Right? So yes, we need a rescue. Now, uh, realize, again, I'm, I'm trying to tell you a story that I hope you'll like. I hope you'll like the story. I hope you'll look for reasons to find the story true. Okay, there are all sorts of facts that show that this story is indeed true, that it comports with reality. Okay, now there are a lot of people that don't want this story to be true. And there are other stories that people tell to try to explain reality, and they claim that these stories comport with reality. One such story is a story told by a gentleman named uh, Carl Sagan, who says, right, again, this is a different story. These stories don't match. And you'd to, to try to mash these stories together and make them both true right, is, is not good logic. Right? Things are not both true and false at the same time in the same way. Right? So, fair warning, right? Mr. Sagan is telling a different story. Right? Mr. Sagan's story goes, uh, the cosmos is all that ever is, or ever was, or ever will be. And we are rocketing through black space on a planet and there's no one to send out a rescue party. Okay, that's what Carl Sagan says. So if you don't like the idea of a rescue, right, there's another story for you. Right, now that's not our story. Our story is that uh, there is a rescue on the way. 
<clears throat> so, the king wants his relationship back, that's true. Now, remember, the king is also just. Stands to reason that the king will punish those who have rebelled against him at some point in time, right? So we need a rescue for, for it seems for two distinct reasons. First of all, yes, because we have broken a relationship with the king. And second of all, because the king is angry. Right? And we, from, from what we know, the king will punish evildoers. If he, is, if he is good, if he is just, he will punish those who have rebelled against him. So we do need a rescue. And again, there are other stories where there, again, to, to quote Mr. Sagan, there's no one to send out a rescue party. That's another story. Okay? Go enjoy that story if, if that's what you like. So, the rescue plan, right? The rescue plan doesn't happen immediately. The ambassador and the co-worker, uh, it, 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 seems, it seems from reading this story that the co-worker, when she gives birth to her first son, she might think that that is the rescuer, right? He turns out to uh, actually be the first murderer, or the first human to murder another human, so uh, not a very good rescuer, but... Uh, Right. Just keep in mind that uh, even though the rescue didn't take place immediately, as humans measure time, just remember that uh, the king is not slack concerning his promises towards the ambassador, the co-worker, and their heirs, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we need a rescue. Now, into the story comes a hero. That's right. Da, da, da. What makes a good hero? Justice. justice? Okay, a hero establishes justice. I'll take that. What else? What's that? Virtue. A hero is virtuous. Yes. Redemption. What does that word mean? Sometimes we use that in Christianese. What does it mean to redeem? Oh, right, it literally means to buy something back. You can go to a pawn shop and you can redeem something, right? I can take, now of course I'm, I'm a citizen of the United States. I would never pawn my beloved cell phone. But I could theoretically, right? I could go leave my cell phone somewhere. They would give me something for it. And I could go back and I could redeem that, right? So yes, it literally means to buy back, right? Redemption is... I don't, when, when I'm redeeming something, I don't go, you know, I, I don't go to the store and, and redeem five pounds of potatoes, right? They were never mine to begin with. Redeeming is something that I previously owned, and I'm buying it back. Well done. What else? A hero. What makes a good hero? Restoration. Okay, a hero restores something that should have that been but isn't for whatever reason. Okay. Something broken, fair enough. What else? Victory, a hero wins. Okay, fair enough. Power over the villain. Okay, right. So we've, we, we've already introduced the villain. We know about the villain. Right? And we expect, right, because the, the, the hero is first announced as a snake crusher, right? Crushing the villain. Good. Yes, sir. 
self-sacrifice, right? Which is virtuous. Yes, the hero sacrifices himself. Anything else? Okay, the hero, the hero's alive, right? We certainly don't want a, a dead hero. Okay, well done. Actually, this hero's going to be dead for a little bit, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, yes, but yeah, we, okay, so a number of us agree with the idea that the hero's going to restore something that had been broken or lost. Good, anything else? What's that? Pureness, okay, that the hero, right, he's virtuous, he's, he's at, at least to some degree morally pure, now this hero is perfectly morally pure, right, but we, we expect that from our heroes, yes sir? Incorruptible, ooh, okay, incorruptible, okay, yeah, fair enough, our hero cannot be corrupted, despite people trying, despite the villain trying, what else, anything? Okay, the hero builds a relationship. Courageous, right. Again, another virtue, courage, the, the primary virtue of all virtues, right? Yes, the hero is courageous. What else? The he- okay, sure, the, the hero is not coming to enforce the status quo, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Well done. Yes, sir. Truth. All right, the hero, in, in what way? Explain. Okay, excellent. Yes, very well done. Our hero just happens to be the truth in addition to telling the truth. Well done, sir. Persistence. Okay, the hero is... We, we expect heroes to not give up after being knocked down once. Okay. Ooh, that's all right. Good, good literary. Yeah, we, uh, part of our story, we, sometimes we expect a, a good story, oh, it, it, everything's lost, right? We're de- totally defeated. And then, then the hero arises. What else? What's that? Superpowers? Fair enough. So I mentioned uh, Zach and Dr. Frank Turek's book, uh, Hollywood Heroes, right? If you look at, you know, how many, how many movies have we had in the last 20 years of people running around in spandex, right? A lot, okay? But if you look at these people, if you look at the mythologies that our society builds, you will see a picture of Jesus of Nazareth. Right? If you look at Spider-Man, right, let, let's all say it together, with great power comes... Oh. Marvel Universe. You're all dead to me. Okay, yes, but with great power comes great response. Right? This is a picture of Jesus of Nazareth, who had great power, who could have called a dozen legions of angels to stop his, his extrajudicial murder, but chose not to. Okay, choose, but, and, and choose anyone else, right? When we are telling stories, we want good stories, all right? The, when, you know, so uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, he just wanted to tell stories. He did not want to write 
metaphors for something else, right? Whereas C.S. Lewis wanted very clearly sat down to write a metaphor for something else, right? But what makes these stories so good, right? That's what we're talking about, right? This is part of the human condition. We want heroes. That's why we tell these stories, right? And that's why these stories sound so much like the real story, the true story. So yes, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying superpowers, because this hero just so happens to have all the power you could ever want, and then some. What else? Heroes. Okay, heroes save people, right? Again, because they're virtuous. Fine. Well done. Hum- oh, ooh, that's a good one. The hero is humble. Okay. Well done. All right, now... If you're of my generation, I want you to know that nobody said that the hero needs to be strong and he needs to be fast and he needs to be larger than life. Right? If you can feel the, the disappointment radiating off of me. I need a hero right now. Anyway, so the hero, the hero comes into the story. What's he going to do? Right? We already talked about how the hero, one of the things the hero comes, he comes to restore. Right? He comes to set things to right. He comes to fix the problem, solve the problem. Now again, right, there are other stories. Right? I've already mentioned uh, the, the high priest of another one of these stories, uh, Richard Dawkins. Right? Now he says, he says that the universe is just right the way it is. Right? We don't think so. We think that the hero, right, we look around at the world today, and we expect the hero to do yet more work. Right? We don't think the hero is 100% done right, with the things he... We expect the hero to come back eventually and set all the things that we see to right. right? Professor Dawkins says, and I quote, that the universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect. If there is, at bottom, no design... No purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. So that story doesn't need a hero. Do you want blind, pitiless indifference as part of your story? No? Neither do I. If I wanted blind, pitiless indifference, I would get myself a visually impaired house cat. I don't want a visually impaired house cat. I want an unsafe lion. Alright? And you guys know where I'm going with this. He's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. Right? Not a tame lion. I want the son of the emperor beyond the sea who shed his blood, broke the stone table, undid the deep magic so he could rescue traitors. I want the great lion Aslan. You're a miserable storyteller, Professor Dawkins. Miserable storyteller. 
So our hero, our hero is born into a long line of princes who had been usurped centuries before, right? We call them the house of David. Our hero is uh, part of the house of David. Interestingly enough, because the house of David had been usurped, the hero knows what it's like for the king to be usurped. He's had that experience. He's born into that reality. He is, uh, and again, the house of David is uh, what uh, another storyteller, whom, whom we've already mentioned, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, would, uh, would describe as the last of a ragged house, long bereft of lordship. And so the hero, right, he grows up living a pretty normal life, as far as we can tell. The, the, the stories about the hero indicate that he, uh, he was very, very normal until roughly his 30th year of life, at which point in time he began to uh, uh, show that he was a little bit more than man. And, um, you know, he, he doesn't make a lot of friends. His, uh, his opponents claim that he's a, he's a drunkard and a glutton, friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? But so the, the hero claims that he's on a mission, and his mission is actually to die. That's his mission, right? And as we've said, right, there were, uh, there, you know, were probably villains who thought, oh, good, uh, we finally put this guy down. And they had, they had a few days to enjoy their victory. And so the hero is in, in an unjust trial and what we'd call an extrajudicial killing. Uh, the hero is uh, executed in really quite a terrible way. And in that moment, in that moment, the rescue takes place. Because in that moment, moment might not be the right word. Right? First of all, the hero is beaten so severely that most likely you could see the, the, the ribs on his, on his back. You could see the bones. You could see white sticking through. Not red, white. All right, that, that's most likely why the hero was unable to uh, carry, to physically carry uh, the, the cross member of his execution stake, right? Because the, the muscles in your back that stabilize your body had probably been removed. And they'd been removed by beating with a, with a whip with chunks of bone sewn into it. Right, he very possibly would have died of shock just from that event had he not been crucified, but he's crucified by Roman crucifixion, nails driven into, uh, most likely into his wrist and, uh, and his feet. And so in that, in that time, the time where he was given this trial and that time where he was uh, executed the king pours onto the hero every last bit of his righteous anger the anger at the ambassador which was righteous the anger at the co-worker which was righteous the anger at all of their heirs 
which was just and righteous anger for all of the rebellion that those people had ever done, that we have ever done. The king pours all of that anger onto the hero. We've talked about the hero. The hero comes, he's, he's virtuous. Yes, he is. He comes, to self, he, he comes to sacrifice himself. Yes, he does. And that's exactly what he does. And the king, because the king loves us, right? Now remember, the king is just. He can't let rebellion go unpunished. That's not just. But because the king loves us, when the hero steps up and says, take me instead, the king is pleased to grant the hero's request. And the hero, understanding that he has fulfilled the requirements perfectly, his last words are the words, finished. So we come to an awkward part in the story. You see, the hero has been, the hero's had some companions for about the last three and a half years, right? And, and the, these companions at this time are not exactly perfect. As a matter of fact, they're quite flawed. One of his companions, you know, asked, oh, hey, aren't, aren't you one of his companions? He says, no, I'm not. And they ask him again, hey, but, but I thought you were, but he says, no, I'm not. And then he finally has to probably do the first century version of dropping the F-bomb and says, I am not one of his people. Those are his companions. So let's stop the story for a minute and ask you, do you want to hear a story where the hero's companions are not perfect? Yes or no? Yeah? Why? Okay, it's, in, it's interesting, sure. Okay, yeah, so the companions are imperfect, right? But if the companions are perfect, we wouldn't need a hero. Oh, fair enough, well done. They are relatable, aren't they? They're very relatable. We're not, exactly. We're not perfect either, right? And we started the story by saying we wanted to hear a true story, comports with reality. So when I hear a story about people that are imperfect... I said, well, that looks just like me. Now, I would hope that if I'd spent three and a half years with a man, I hope that if he was sad, I would comfort him. I hope that if he was in need, I would provide for his needs. And I hope that if his body was hanging on an execution stake as an object of scorn and ridicule, I hope that I would go take his body down and perform the last duty of a friend and give him an honorable burial. I hope that I would do that. Right? But uh, in this story, someone else needs to do that. A rich man needs to come and let the hero borrow a tomb. And that's your story, right? The hero is dead, 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 
right? They, they jab a spear up through him, and you can see that his, his blood is separating. He's dead. Dead, dead. Dead, dead, dead. And, and not, his, not his friends, not the people that have spent time with him over the last three and a half years, they don't take his body down. No, two other people who knew him take his body down and put him in a cold tomb, and they roll a stone over the tomb, right? as was done in first century Judea. And they leave him, and there he is. So, this is the part you were talking about. They thought they'd won. The villain thinks he's won, right? But uh, the story's not done yet. You see, the hero, the hero had told his disciples right, that in this world, you will have trouble. Right? And I imagine, I imagine his companions saying, oh, you don't say. We'll have trouble in this world. Wow. What, what great wisdom. Right? Don't interrupt the hero. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Right? And in the most important event that has ever happened in the history of humankind. Right? Remember, this is a true story. This literally happened. In the most important event that has ever happened in the history of humankind and that will ever happen, the most important event in all of history, and I might let you argue with me on one other event, perhaps the creation of the entire universe, maybe, but in the most important event that has ever happened to human beings, a messenger from the king rolls away the stone, scares the guards into a faint, and the hero, who has just had his spirit reunited with his physical body to become a living soul, yet again, to take up his life again, gets up and walks out of that tomb. Again, this is the most important event in human history. This is the climax of the story. And it's a true story. Now, the story isn't quite done, right? But we've certainly crested it as far as terms of importance. That's the most important part. All right. Now, let me tell you how the story ends. All right. Again, we, we said that we needed a rescue, right? This is the story of a rescue. And we needed a rescue. We need a rescue because we've, we've broken something, and we need a rescue from the just, righteous anger of the king. All right, because as ambassadors and co-workers, you and I don't do any better than the first ambassador and the first co-worker. In some cases, we might do a little bit worse. All right? we, we are all under a just condemnation from the king. Interestingly enough, Right? When, when the hero was executed, right, there was the, 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 the people that executed him put a sign above his head telling why he had been executed. And the sign said, uh, this hero claims to be a king. Right? He thinks he's a king. Right? You, you don't get to claim to be a king without being a king. You get executed for things like that. 
But another sign that, uh, that no one saw, but that was actually there, was the condemnation against all of us. Right? That was also there. And that was the thing that was finished, that was paid in full when the hero completed the work that he had to do. But so at the end of the story, right, I told you that parts of this story were literally true. They've literally happened in the past. Now I'm going to tell you about a part of the story that is literally true. It will happen in the future, right? And that's that uh, we, we will literally get a hero's welcome, right? The hero's welcome. And this is true because for everyone who desires, who truly desires the, the king's mercy, everyone who truly desires that, these people will have it. Right? If, if you and I and everyone, everyone here in this room, a lot of people outside of this room, if you desire the mercy of the king, the king's mercy is there for you and you will have it. That's what the hero made possible. That's, that's how the hero, with his virtue and with his self-sacrifice, things we expect of heroes, that's how he did his job. Right? And, and at the end, right, when all things have been completed, the hero is actually going to look at us and uh, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. How do you like that part of the story? You like that? Do you, do you want to hear those words? Right. I want to hear those words. I want to hear the hero himself tell me that I did a good job. Right. And ironically, that part of the story doesn't say anything about us disagreeing with him. Right. At that point in time, we won't say, wait a second, I'm not heroic. Good and faithful, I've never been good. And I've rarely been faithful. Right? And yet he's going to say that the hero himself will say to all of those who want the king's mercy, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's how the story ends. And again, the story ends in such a way, right? Again, that is literally true. These things will literally happen in the future. Right? Now, there are, of course, those who choose not to seek the king's mercy, and they'll be dealt with accordingly. Right? But for those who do seek the king's mercy, for those who want the mercy of the king and who accept the work that the hero has done to make that possible, you will get, to, you will get a hero's welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the reward the king has prepared for you. And then... Right? We will get to live happily ever after. Truly in the world that our hearts have always desired. Living with the king, living with the hero, and living with each other in perfection. And we'll live happily ever after. So, that's the true story. It's the story of everything. Everything, at least everything important that has ever happened. Everything important that will happen. So, I think this story, I think the story is beautiful, right? Now, it's not true because it's beautiful. I think it might be beautiful because it's true. And so, my encouragement to you, right, if, if you, 
if you believe this, if, if, everything I've, if I've told you this story and you've said, yeah, I've heard that story before, right? and I know it's true, great, good for you. Right? If you've heard this story and you've said, well, uh, you know, I, I, I like that story, but that's not for me. Well, it's also your story. Right? If, if you've heard that story and you, you said that, well, I think it's true, it sounds nice, I'd like it to be true, that's been the point of what I've been trying to say today. This story is beautiful. Right? It's a story of a king wrongly usurped, an ambassador and co-worker in need of a rescue, and a hero who comes to rescue and comes to save. And my encouragement to you is, uh, if, if you think it's beautiful, and you're not quite concerned, you're, you're not quite sure that it's true, right? we have all the facts. We're happy to share the facts with you that show that all the facts, everything that comports with reality, comports with this story. This is a true story. So if you've heard the truth, you have a choice to accept the truth or to reject it. We acknowledge that choice. We hope that you'll choose to accept it. And if you need more facts, come talk to us about the facts, because there's plenty of them. Thank you, and blessings.